I love y'all. It's good to be back. Oh, is that Lula Willoughby I saw walk in? How you doing? Good to see you. Is that as loud as you yell? If so, I'm moving in with you and moving out from Kathy. <laughs> if that's as loud as it gets, we are friends from now on. <laughs> oh. Well, anyway, it's good to see y'all. I've had a, a wonderful time. I just hope that y'all have uh, been blessed by the Word. Uh, I know I've been blessed being here, worshiping with you. And I hope the Lord continues to work tonight. Turn in your Bible, if you will, uh, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to talk to you tonight about the life of Moses, not in its entirety, but just uh, part of his life, the faith that he had, and how we can learn from that. So Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to read, uh, begin reading in verse 23. Hebrews 11, 23. Yeah, I've had such a good time, I was tempted to ask Mike, just keep on going, don't change the rate of pay, whatever it was, don't worry about changing that. Uh, don't add to it. You can even take away from it, but I hate to stop. Um, so anyway, Hebrews chapter 11, 23. You know, when I was at Cedar Grove one, one morning, I walked out in the sanctuary with my son, with John, and he was just, a, well, seven years ago, six years ago, and he was a little fella. He, he walked by, and there was a microphone laying on the ground. <laughs> Did I tell you all this? Microphone laying on the ground, and John saw it, and he looked up the congregation and said, Don't let my daddy see that. He will preach. <laughs> Yeah, so I like to preach. You just give me a mic. I don't care where I am. I'm going to preach. I, I love doing it. There are some things I don't do well, and I don't know that I'm uh, great at preaching, but I will tell you this. There's nothing I enjoy more than preaching God's Word. So I hope that God blesses you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. Hebrews eleven twenty-three. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, that, that just sums up what every good parent says about their child, doesn't it? Uh, you have the prettiest daughter, you have the most handsome little boy, they're going to grow up and be doctors and lawyers, brains, geniuses, whatever it may be, uh, pastors, teachers, they're going to grow up and they're going to be wonderful, that nobody's going to be smart and nobody's going to look better. But the statement there, because they saw he was a beautiful child, they sensed the Lord's hand upon him even at birth, okay, uh, that there's a lot of meaning behind that, that little statement there. They saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, this is before the coming of Christ, knowing that by faith he had to obey God's commands. After he received the law, he still had to have faith in his heart, knowing that a Savior was coming. Remember, Moses is the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Uh, and he knew, Genesis 3.15, that the Lord, that God was going to send a Savior. So he knew a Savior was coming. And it says here, esteeming the reproach of Christ, not Jesus the man, but Christ the Messiah, knowing that a Savior, the Anointed One, was going to come and redeem God's people. So he knew that believing that would also bring reproach upon himself. And he is also talking about the future generations. Us, we're included in this. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible." By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them, that is, all the Hebrew children. 
By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Let's talk a little bit about Moses, if we could. Uh, there's a great word used over and over. This is called the Great Hall of Faith by some. It's nicknamed that, chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews. Uh, this is a passage of Scripture that talks to us about the faith that Moses has. And I love that word faith, and a lot of people have tried to find ways to define it. I'm not any more accurate or any better at defining faith than anybody else who has tried before me or may try after. I've heard the, the nice little saying, forsaking all, I trust Him. And we walk by faith and not by sight is what the Bible says. Uh, we need to literally have a relationship with God that is so dear to us and so strong that we sense the Lord's prompting and leading in our life and we trust Him enough to go where He leads us to go. Uh, that's just a simple explanation or application of faith. It's very difficult to put into words to anybody who has lost what faith is. Remember, the Bible teaches us that faith itself is a gift of God and it's not of works. You can't produce it yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you have faith, God gave you that faith. You express faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. You know what it was like when Jesus convicted you of your sin. When the Holy Spirit was working around you, working in you, and opened your eyes, drew you to Himself, uh, to Jesus Christ as Savior. You received Christ for salvation. You know what it's like to feel the Lord prompting you for salvation and Time and time again in our life, the Lord will prompt us and lead us and motivate or move us to do things to honor Him. And so we begin to live our life according to faith, knowing that the Lord is moving within us, knowing that the Word of God is confirming what we believe the Spirit of God is teaching us, and we follow in obedience to what God the Father wants us to do. Now, there are some things that happen in our life that keep us from living a good life of faith. Now, being the last night of revival, I figure this is a great way to just uh, be frank with what needs to be said about different issues in our life. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Some issues that Moses had to address in his life so that he could walk by faith. And some issues that we might need to address in our own lives so that we can also walk by faith. I really like that statement, by the way. About 15 years ago, I studied this passage of Scripture. And from time to time, I, I go back through and I do a devotion for myself. And, and I go back over the message. It's one of them that God has just blessed me with the ability to remember. And I really enjoy this passage. And I remember about 15 years ago, it was the in thing to say that he or she has issues. <laughs> now, I'm not quite sure what that meant, but it was said about me quite a bit. Uh, and I do know that when people come to me uh, for counseling, the first thing that I ask them is, what are the issues that are going on in your life? What are the things that are happening in your life as an individual? Uh, what is there at work that's bothering you? What issues do you need to resolve at work uh, so you can be a better employee? What issues do you need to resolve at school so that you can be a better student? What issues do you need to resolve in your marriage uh, so that you can get along better? What is there in your life that needs to be settled so you can live a godly life? And they're called issues. And I believe if we're going to walk by faith, not just after tonight and after revival services in, but walk by faith in our life. From time to time, we need to address certain issues in our life that might keep us from fully obeying what God the Father wants us to do. So let's just get right in this if we could. First of all, the Bible says in verse 23 that by faith Moses' parents, when he was born, they hid him, not fearing the wrath of the king. Now that first point is very simple. We need to make sure that we address the issue of fear in our life. 
Now, I don't know what you fear in this life. I don't know the things that might cause you to be a little nervous or afraid. But let me give you the straightforward application here. Uh, what it says is that the parents knew that the king said, Pharaoh said, that any male child needed to be taken and put into the river and drowned or, or executed or killed, that there were going to be too many Hebrews and they had to die. And they saw this little boy, Moses. They knew that God's hand was upon him. They put him in a basket, knew all about this. They put him in the river and he was stuck in the reed and, and Pharaoh's daughter found him and, and ended up taking care of him and the mother nursed him and it was just a wonderful story. For him to get into that basket and to get into that river, the parents had to address the issue of fear. They had to say to themselves, we know that by doing this we could die. We realize that by disobeying Pharaoh and disobeying his commands, he could take our lives immediately and nobody could stop him. We understand the consequences if we are caught, if we're discovered in doing this act. But this is what God would have us to do. And they would much rather fear God in heaven than to fear the king on earth. And I truly believe that that's what churches need to resolve in their hearts and individuals in the church need to resolve in their hearts over and over again. Who are we really afraid of? Are we afraid of what somebody else might say? Are we afraid of what the government might say or do to us? Are we afraid of what somebody at work might say or do? Or afraid of what teachers might do or fellow students? Or are we going to fear God supremely over everybody else? Jesus put it this way. He said, don't fear that man that can take your physical life, but fear the one that can also take your spiritual life or destroy the soul and the body. That's God the Father. That's who we need to be afraid of. I have some simple fears, just little fears. You know, I think it might be kind of good to, you know, just remind you of a couple things that I've done to Kathy over the years. This week, I've taken the time to do it. And I remember, uh, I, I used to run, by the way. I, I know that some of you may remember this. I used to run from my mother-in-law's house. I live right behind her. Now, listen, my mother-in-law's with the Lord. She's not here to defend herself, but her sister's here tonight. Uh, living with my mother-in-law, or at least in the same yard, was good motivation to get out of the house and run several miles a day. <laughs> That's just a joke. But anyway... I would get out and I would run. And I would run from our house, right behind Long Branch, all the way to Broad Ridge Church. And I'd turn around and run back. Now, Kathy would ride her bike. And I remember one time, <laughs> it was one of my favorite parts of running one day, an elderly man stepped out of one of the houses, and I was running and I was pouring sweat, and Kathy's riding the bike. She never got in a hurry. She'd go up and do loops and come back, you know, and go behind me and do loops and come back. And he just came out one day and said, something looks wrong with this picture. And I said, well, sir, I've asked for a bike for Christmas. He said, I sure hope you get it, son. <laughs> I never did, so I just kept running until my knees gave out. But we were going home one day, and she decided she would let me run all the way to church, and she would walk down the road and meet me, and we'd walk home together. Uh, somewhere down the road that many lived on, we'd just decide to walk together. She had a little puppy in her hand, a Cocker Spaniel. Love that Cocker Spaniel. It was a great dog. And I was walking right beside Kathy. You know, we're newlyweds, and everybody thought it was so romantic, so cute, you know. Here she is, a little puppy. That's our baby, because we didn't have a baby yet. And, and we're walking hand in hand, and everything's just sweet as it can be. And right in the yellow lines curled up was a snake. And I thought, got to be dead. So I just walked up to kick that snake and that joker straightened out about like that. And I went, and I ran just as fast as I could. And about 50 yards away, Kathy said, where are you going? She said, I said, home. She said, the snake's gone. I said, he might come back. And I let her walk all the way home by herself. Now, I can tell you, when I see a snake, I still am afraid of snakes. But sometimes the world intimidates me just as much as a snake. Not quite sure what they're up to. Not quite sure when they're going to strike. Not quite sure how bad it's going to hurt or if I'm going to live through it. 
And sometimes I have to stop and I have to pray and literally talk to the Lord and just remind myself that I'm His child and that I need to serve Him faithfully. And I ask Him to help me overcome my fear of serving Him because the world might be standing against me. Now, that might not be that great of a deal to you. Maybe you only have one or two people. But I can tell you that one or two negative voices, one or two negative events can sometimes discourage us so much that we just throw our hands up and we say, well, that's it. I'm done. I'm not going to do it. And Moses' parents saw that he was a godly child or a beautiful child and they did not fear the wrath of the king and they saved that boy's life. It is much better to fear God than it is man. Amen. Not easy, but it is much better. It is exactly what God wants us to do. Who's going to deliver us for an eternity anyway? Mankind cannot deliver our souls for an eternity. Man did absolutely nothing to die to forgive us of our sins. Man has done nothing to cause us to live a holy life. All they do is lead us astray and lead us into sin. Even the best believer cannot save us. God the Father has to, had to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us. And by faith we're saved. And all He wants us to do is obey Him and fear Him more than we fear the things of this world. So his parents had to address the issue of fear. Let me read the next verse. Well, I've got to put my glasses on to read. I, I know the message, but I don't know the verses by heart. So the next verse, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. The other issue we need to settle in our life is just who we belong to. I wear a wedding band on my hand. That tells the world I belong to somebody, Right? Kathy wears a wedding band, and it tells the world that she belongs to somebody. I can tell you that I don't get jealous over much. I really don't. But mess with my wife, I'm, I, that's just me. Now, I don't know if Kathy gets jealous of me. I have no idea. She's never really told me quite as much. But, but the few times that I get jealous of her, she kind of smiles. Oh, isn't that sweet? I'm like, no, it's not sweet. I'm about to kill somebody in the name of Jesus and bear him for free. Ain't nothing sweet about this. I'm going to jail, baby. This is not going to be nice. I get real jealous. Look, I know we go to some churches, people like to hug. And I, if I've been, you know, if I've hugged you this week, I can tell you, it's very difficult for me to hug you, whether you're younger or older. I have a difficult time doing that because I just don't want to get any kind of feelings I shouldn't get, okay? And I have had some people approach me that are younger uh, that shouldn't be coming up and hugging somebody because they're married and hug me and kind of hold me longer than they should. And I think to myself, now, if I can get your arms from around me just as quick as I do, I'm going to push you back and let you know I'm not going to allow that to happen again. Now, I, I do get jealous about some things. I, I have a problem with some things. Uh, and I think that we all need to be careful of what we do and how we say and how we do things. And listen to what the Bible says about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. He wanted everybody to know exactly who he belonged to. Think about what was going on in his life. He was living in Pharaoh's palace. He was the, the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That made him a future prince, if that's what the Pharaoh chose to do. He could put him in power. He could give him all type of authority. And Moses said, it is not good for me to be identified as an Egyptian. I don't belong with this group of people. I belong with the Hebrews. I need to do whatever is necessary to be identified with them. My God is a jealous God, and I don't want to incur his wrath. I don't want to anger him. I know the right thing for me to do is to be identified with the Hebrews and I want the rest of the world to know that I'm going to defend the Hebrews. I'm going to stand with the Hebrews and I'm going to reject this relationship that I have with a lost and a dying nation. He had to address the issue of just who he belonged to. You know, I think sometimes we need to do that. I think the church is going through an identity crisis. 
People think that the church belongs to the world. No, we belong to Jesus Christ. We don't live like, we don't act like, we shouldn't even look like the rest of the world. And there's so much of an effort trying to make the church look like the world that sometimes people from the world come into church and don't see any difference. And Christians need to make certain that they identify themselves with Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. And if there's ever any confusion, they need to make sure they remember that God is a jealous God. He is going to get angry. He's not pleased with that. And we take away whatever the distortion is, whatever causes confusion, and we tell the world, I am a child of the King. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. God the Father in heaven is mine. I know that I'm His. He is mine. I love Him and I'm going to serve Him. I have settled the issue of who I belong to. It is a comforting thing, by the way, to know that you belong to the family of God. I mean, you take somebody who comes from a broken home. You take somebody who has been abused. Somebody who, who, who feels neglected by their parents. Somebody who's been rejected by their friends. And you show them the love of God. And let Jesus Christ prick their heart. Let the Holy Spirit literally dwell within them. By faith they're saved and redeemed. And they're part of the family of God. That is a comforting place to find ourselves. That is a wonderful place to be. And sometimes we act like we're not a part of that family. And the world can't truly identify us as a Christian. Because of the way we're acting. What Moses literally did here. Was he took off the crown jewels. He took off the robe that Pharaoh placed on him. He moved out of the palace and he went to live with the Hebrews. He, he changed his attire. He literally changed his language. He was an educated man. He knew how to speak with the Egyptians. He was a wonderful guy as far as intellect. And then he went to the Hebrews. He changed everything he did, everything he said, everything about the way that he looked so that the world knew exactly who Moses belonged to. I told you that story about how people might not pick me out as a preacher. Out as a preacher, and that's kind of humorous. One of the saddest things that happened to me, though, is when I was with a friend of mine. He was doing some things that I didn't approve of, but he's a friend of mine. And because I was with him, people thought, you know, I would condone the same things. They didn't know me. I was in Virginia. They didn't know I was a preacher. And it ended up because I was with him and he was doing some things he was doing that they didn't even believe that I was a Christian. It's bad. If we're not careful, people will not realize who owns us. They will not know who we belong to. That weakens our testimony, it weakens the church, and it disappoints the Lord. Amen? So, if you're young or old alike, it's very easy to allow things to creep into your life that would cause people to wonder just exactly who is he or who is she and who do they belong to. The next issue that Moses had to address. By faith, Moses, when he was born, his parents had to address the issue of fear. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, he had to address the issue of who he belonged to. And then go on with me in verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses had to address the issue of sin in his life. And the devil has not changed his tactics at all. The Bible says clearly he had to choose to avoid the passing pleasures of sin. Uh, Moses was plagued with the same problems that we're plagued with. The devil knows how to make sin look good. He knows how to make us want to do something that is wrong. He realizes how to prick our minds and our senses. He knows exactly what he needs to do to cause us to stumble or to trip and to fall. And he's very good at it. And the Bible clearly says that Moses had to settle this issue of sin in his life. And it says specifically the passing pleasures of sin. We can live this life for pleasure. 
We can live this life for 70 years or 100 years, however long God gives us the opportunity to live. And if we're not careful, we will consume all of our time with pleasure. We'll fill our time with the things that make us feel good. We'll do the things that make us happy. And society does their very best to do all they can to publicize what is pleasing to us, what makes us feel good or look good. And God says Moses literally had to decide to avoid the passing pleasure of sin. What does that mean? One day he was going to die and if he died without faith didn't matter how happy he was here on this earth he was going to hell he had to avoid and settle the issue of sin in his life I've talked to people who claim to be Christians I, I, I have a friend and you, you don't know him and you won't know him but I have a friend who called me and his daughter is, is wrapped up in a, in a lesbian relationship and he called me very depressed he's a godly man has a godly wife a godly home and he's just crushed by what's going on and he's not jumping on her and kicking her out of the house he's just pleading with her with the word of God asking her to realize that she shouldn't be involved in this and she said literally but it feels so good to be loved by this lady he said your feelings are leading you astray and that's exactly what sin is it is a pleasurable thing. The consequences might be destructive. The consequences might damn us for an eternity. Uh, the, the consequences on somebody else might be destructive. It may be very difficult. But it is pleasing when we engage in sin. Even if it's just for a moment. It's pleasing. And Moses made the decision to avoid sin. An issue in his life. An issue in our lives. My desire to live a life that is godly. And holy uh, starts with God, wanting to please Him. It moves on right away to my wife and my children. I couldn't imagine having to go home and see how depressed or discouraged it would be because I did something that would warrant me being removed from ministry. I, I, I couldn't imagine having to see my children knowing that I would do something that would hurt their mom or hurt them or cause them to be disappointed. That's motivation for me to stay away from sin. Amen? <laughs> Listen, I, I'll tell you some things that I like. I like big, fat, nice, $25 or $30 cigars. You say, preacher, do they make those? Yes, I know where to buy them. I just don't smoke them. But I'll tell you what I do, because I don't want anybody else to stumble or, or fall. I don't drink and I don't smoke cigars or anything, you know. I, I, some might argue with all of that. They might call me a legalist. I, I, it doesn't matter. I'm just telling you my story. I'll buy a $25 cigar, and my brother smokes. He's an avid smoker. He loves cigars. And I'll drive all the way to Virginia to visit my family. I'll stop by JR Cigars. Yes, I'll stop by JR Cigars. You can kick me out of the church if you want after the service. Ask me never to come back for another 25 years. I'll buy one, and I'll go home, and I'll give him a lighter and a cigar cutter. I'll say, would you please do me a favor and light this joker up in front of me so I can smell it? <laughs> now, that's dabbling with sin. I know it's wrong, isn't it? My mom died from lung cancer. That's a bad thing to do, isn't it? Cute little illustration I heard. You may have heard it before, too. Messing with sin. If you don't settle the issue of sin in your life, you'll play around with it and it'll destroy you. The man who sold his house to somebody for a very reasonable price, very cheap price, only had one stipulation. Let me have possession of the nail on the front door. Just the nail. That's all I want. Do whatever I want with it. Any time of the year, I said, sure. Christmas time, I might hang a wreath. Easter time, I might hang a wreath. I, just let me have that nail. I said, sure, the nail's yours. There's a great deal on the house. First thing the man does, he goes out to the side of the road, gets a, some roadkill, a possum, and he hangs that possum by the tail on that door. And about a week later, the owner of the house is complaining, man, my house stinks. He said, I'm sorry, that's my nail. Two weeks later, he said, this is terrible. I can't go in or come out of my house. This is awful. This stench is just, you've got to take care of that possum. He said, no, that's my nail. 
You, you gave me permission to use that nail. A month into it, the man gave him the house back. What's the whole point of that? You play with sin just a little bit and it will take hold in your life and destroy you. You will give up everything. You will lose everything if you're not careful because of sin. Moses had to settle the issue of sin. If you understand that, say amen. amen. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, verse 26. That's the next issue he had to settle was the issue of wealth. And this is not like we're talking to somebody who is poor and we're offering them a welfare check. It's not like they have to say, well, no, I don't want that little bit of money. It's not like somebody who didn't work a whole lot, but they were faithful in working and they received a little bit of a Social Security check. It's not like taking away a little bit of money. It's like taking away an inheritance from somebody who is extremely wealthy and saying, I, I, I will give you all of this wealth. I will give you all of these riches. You can have my house. You can have my cars. You can inherit my business. You can inherit all of the lands. All of it is yours if you'll just go and, and and enjoy life and don't worry about this God thing. But the Bible says in verse 26 that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt for he looked to the reward. He had to settle the issue of wealth in his life. Money is not everything. I agree with my friend, a good friend of mine who says money isn't everything but you can't do a whole lot without it. We need to be responsible with money. Jesus spent a lot of time teaching about money. But Moses realized that wealth could not be the most important thing in his life. If it was the most important thing in his life, God would not have used him to deliver the Hebrew children out of bondage. He settled the issue of wealth. You know, some people don't come to church because they have property at the beach. Got to go see it. I have property at the beach. We inherited it. It's wonderful. I don't mind going down to the beach. I don't go to the water. I was a lifeguard. I spent plenty of time seeing women with half their clothes off, okay? Plenty of time pulling people out as a lifeguard at the beach who have been attacked by a shark or stung by a stingray. I've had sand in my shorts, you know. I know what it's like. I don't like the beach. Can't stand the beach. I simply go for Kathy and the children. If I'm on the water and I look miserable, it's because I am miserable, but I'm with my family so they can have a good time, okay? Some people have so much wealth that they forsake God. Even on Sunday mornings. Now look, some of you are saying, Preacher, there's nothing wrong with me going to the beach on a Sunday once in a while. Okay, that's fine. I happen to know at Holden Beach they have a church you can go to. Do you go? You see, Moses had to settle the issue of wealth in his life. Wealth is good. There's nothing wrong with somebody being wealthy. In fact, Joseph of Arimathea loaned Jesus his tomb. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong at all with wealth as long as you don't make that your God. You don't make that your priority. It's not your greatest pleasure in life. Your greatest joy, your greatest pleasure, your greatest priority is serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to settle those issues. Look, this is revival for a reason. We agree we need revival from time to time because we're not doing the things that we need to do. We're not the church that we need to be. We're not serving the way that we need to serve. And one of the issues we need to settle is the issue of wealth and money. Do you tithe the way that you should? Do you give? I don't mean just 10%. Look, anybody can say, yeah, I go to church and I give 10% of everything that God gives me and I tithe and I'm absolutely obedient. And they're just that mad about it. Do you tithe and do you give above a tithe? Do you give a gift to the church? Do you bless your pastor from time to time? Do you give to other people that are in need? Do you sacrifice a portion of your wealth saying, God, it's all yours. Go ahead and take it. I don't care. It's yours anyway. You can have it. My wife will tell you, my children will tell you. I do it all the time. It doesn't matter. If they come to me and they want something, yes, I know how to discipline my children. I believe if you beat a child to death, you can make another one just like them and get away with it in a court of law. Okay? I know how to discipline my children. I even know how to discipline my wife. I know how to say no to my wife and my children sometimes, but I will give up all of my money 
after I pay my bills, after I give to the church, they know I'll give up everything I have for them or anybody else in need. Anything that I have. I will. I don't care if it's a vehicle. I don't care if it's money. If you tell me you like my jacket and you don't have one, I'll give you my jacket. Listen, I, I, am, I, I can't tell you the thoughts that go through my mind on how I can give away some of the things that God has blessed me with. Why? Not because I have a lot. But I grew up poor without anything. So anything that I have is a blessing. I don't mind giving it up. I see some people have a whole lot more than me and won't help a soul. God help them. God help them. I see churches that are wealthy sitting on bank accounts and won't do anything to help a congregation in need. I'll tell you what, I'm going to brag about Cedar Grove Baptist Church for a minute if I could. I just want to. Settling this issue of wealth. Hispanic church. Don't know how we got in contact with them. I have no idea. The Hispanic congregation, they, are, they were building a church building and they were renting another building and a car uh, came through the building that they were renting. They had absolutely nowhere to go. Uh, one of the ladies that is married to a Hispanic man uh, is very good with English. She knows somebody in church. She approached me. She said, do you think we could use uh, your church for just a little while, for a few weeks, while we get our building repaired? I said, well, look, I'd love to make the decision on my own, but let me be respectful to the leadership of the church and to the congregation and go Go before the leaders and go before the congregation and see what they say. Well, long story short, without any reservation, they said, absolutely. So this Hispanic church comes in. And the first thing I did is I walked them into the sanctuary. The pastor of the church started crying. And in broken English, he says, we don't need nothing this nice. We don't need nothing this nice. I said, well, we have a new fellowship hall. And I directed him toward the new fellowship hall. And I said, there would be some problems by using the new fellowship hall because we have a daycare. And there's always controversy between the church and the daycare. But if you want to, you can use this new fellowship hall. It has a sound system. You can run videos on the wall. He says, no, no, too big, too much, too much. I'm like, okay, let's walk around the church. They went to the old fellowship hall that has since had two rooms built onto it so they can only seat about 30 people in it. With old lighting, old tile, it hasn't been polished the way that it should be. And he started crying. He says, this is all we need. I thought, are you serious? What about mics? No, no, no mics. I've heard them worship. They don't need mics. <laughs> they don't need mics. And I've gone back to the church several times. I've been meeting now for three months. They clean everything. Everything, even things that they don't use. The one Sunday that they had to meet in the sanctuary because a family was using the old fellowship hall for a party, they vacuumed every pew, they vacuumed the entire church, and they want to pay us for electricity. I said, no, absolutely not. The church is blessed with income. The church is blessed with facilities. You use them as long as you need them. We won't take a dime from you. And he and his deacons broke down crying, said the other church that was going to help us would not do it for free. We couldn't afford it. Churches need to settle the issue of wealth. Amen. I am bragging about Cedar Grove Baptist Church. That has nothing to do with me. That is their decision. I'm thrilled that they went along with that. I'm glad that they're doing that. Churches and individuals need to settle the issue of wealth if they're going to serve the Lord effectively. Come off of some money. The next thing, verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt. Y'all act like you're asleep, so somebody wake somebody up beside you, okay? By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Very simply stated, the next issue he had to settle was the issue of what changes he needed to make in his life. Where he needed to go. Look, this was very difficult for me. I'm from Virginia. When I first moved down here to North Carolina, when I was stationed at Fort Bragg and I'd come down here to see Kathy and I, I'd come in the church or I'd go out to eat with somebody from North Carolina. I, I'd sit down and talk with the dog and say, man, where are you from? 
I've been down here long enough now that they don't say it anymore. But when I go home, my, my friends say, man, where do you live? <laughs> like, I don't know, but they don't speak English like you, do they? <laughs> and we only have 23 letters of the alphabet in Robinson County. That's it. It's a whole lot easier. We don't use all the S's. We don't use G's. We don't even use a, a K once in a while. It's, it's just awful. I'm telling you. I go home and people laugh at me. Now my parents used to sit down and, and just drink a cup of coffee. and Charles, just talk. Just say anything, whatever it is. That's cool. My son calls home and my dad literally when my son gets off the phone and says, Charles, can you interpret what that boy just said? <laughs> I said, I don't know. His sister's not here. I don't understand him either. <laughs> it was difficult for me to leave Virginia and come to North Carolina. Now, love was a good motivator. <laughs> it, was, it was worth it. Uh, but moving down to North Carolina, I left all my friends I grew up with. I mean, I wanted to go back to the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. My parents lived in Stanton. I was just nowhere from the school. Beautiful area. I'd been backpacking all my life on the Appalachian Trail in Virginia. I thought, man, what a place to live. And still, I have a dream of retiring one day and, and just buying a little shack near the Shenandoah Valley. The first trip I took with my parents when I got my pilot's license, I, I flew them over the seven bends of the Shenandoah River uh, in, in the Shenandoah Valley. It was wonderful. I love that area. And I made a decision to move down here. Now, move down here because I love my wife. Absolutely. And then God said, not only did you move down here, I thought maybe I could get her away from mom and dad. Not a chance. But maybe I could get her away someday. No, God called me into ministry. And as much as I want to move to Virginia, I've never lived more than an hour away from Broad Ridge Baptist Church. Isn't that something? What a change. I had to settle the issue of what adjustments I need to make in my life in order to serve the Lord. Sometimes God takes you places you don't necessarily want to go. He keeps you longer than you want to stay sometimes. I'm not complaining. I'm telling you, I'm thrilled to be here tonight. I told Brother Seaman, this has been refreshing for me to be here this week. It's been wonderful. I, I told Mike, I've absolutely enjoyed myself. This has been great. I love you all. I, I really do. I miss seeing some faces, but I love seeing you all that are here. It's great, but I never thought I'd live here. Never wanted to live here. Can you imagine that? Where is God going to lead you? What does He want you to do? You say, well, I'm so old now, I don't need to move. Don't you dare say that. Moses is 80 serving the Lord. 120 before he died. And that's in today's time. Okay, That's not Old Testament confused the days and the hours and the weeks and the years. No, he was 120 when he died and his physical strength had not yet abated him. His eyes had not grown dim. God blessed him and he served the Lord. 80 years old. Some of you say, well, I ain't going to make it to 80. Okay, that's fine. Let's go on. By faith, he kept the Passover. This is the last point of the message. It might take a little while, but the last point of the message. Verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Without going through all of the Old Testament, without going through... The Passover in detail and going through the crossing of the Red Sea in detail. Let me just say this. Moses had to settle the issue of obedience. Not just going somewhere he didn't necessarily want to go, but the issue of obedience in verse 28 and 29. The Bible says that he had to observe the Passover. Now, what the Lord told him to do, what God told him to do, was to make sure that every family took an animal, and there was a certain number of people per animal, and they had it in their home for a certain amount of time, and then they killed the animal, they took the blood, and they put it over the doorpost, and, and, and God sent the death angel, and the death angel passed over. Moses had to be obedient. 
He had to go and tell people how they were going to worship that night. He had to go and tell people exactly how they were going to sacrifice that night. He had to tell the people exactly what God wanted them to do. And sometimes I find it difficult to understand everything God wants me to do. And I also find it very difficult to do everything that God wants me to do. But when I am obedient to God and I find myself right in the middle of His will, it is the safest place on earth for me to be. And I truly enjoy obeying God. I constantly have to settle the issue of obedience in my life, though. There's sometimes that God wants me to do things that I'm totally uncomfortable with doing. I've had to witness to family members that I know don't like the idea that I'm a Christian. I've had to go and minister to people that I know can't stand me, but God says I'm supposed to love my enemies. I'm supposed to pray for those who despitefully use me and speak all manner of evil against me uh, for God's namesake. I, and, and they do that, and I'm supposed to serve them and love them and let them see my good works that the Father does through me so they might glorify my Father in heaven. Now that all sounds wonderful. It all sounds like great theology, but what it means in practical terms is this. I have to go and talk to people that I don't like and people that I know don't like me and serve in the name of Jesus Christ and love them. Do you see the difference? Being obedient is not easy. It's difficult for pastors. It's difficult for church members. It's difficult for believers of all ages. It is not intended to be easy. If it was easy, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit to indwell us. We wouldn't need a constant refreshing of the Holy Spirit called an anointing. We wouldn't need the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. But apart from me, what? You can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You're close. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So Moses had to settle this issue of obedience. God told him how to sacrifice this animal. God told him where to put the blood. He had to share that with all the Hebrews. And they had to be scratching their heads. Why are we doing this? Because God said it. And then here's Moses after he goes out of, the, out of Egypt and he, and he gets up to the Red Sea and you know that the armies are coming and Pharaoh's coming and he has a cloud and he has a pillar of fire. Uh, whether it's day or night, he has something to follow. He knows where he's supposed to go and he comes up to the Red Sea and here's this great wall of water. It's just there. He has to get across or he's going to be killed and by faith he has to obey God and he takes the rod and he touches the water and the sea parts and they go across on dry land and Pharaoh and his armies attempting to do so are absolutely destroyed. I'm telling you, that it was a big adjustment in Moses' life and it was an act of faith for him to take that rod and touch the water and wait for God to spread that water out of the way so they could cross on dry land. God brings us to places sometimes that we're just going to have to stop. We're going to have to look at what's going on and confess that the only way we're going to get through this is if God does it. But this is where He brought me. This is where He wants me. He knows all the danger that is around me. He knows exactly what I'm going through. He knows how tempted I am to give up. He knows how hard this moment is on me. He understands how the devil is attacking right now. He realizes I don't have the resources to handle this. So here I am, God. I'm standing right on the edge and pleading with you. And Moses wrote this story in the Old Testament. It wasn't self-aggrandizement. He wasn't saying it to lift himself up. Moses is the same one to confess the sin of striking a rock and taking glory for himself. Moses is the same one that took an Egyptian's life and tried to get ahead of God's will. But here he clearly stated in the Old Testament, and it's related to us in the New, that he came up to the Red Sea, he had a rod in his hand, he had all the Hebrew children with him, and by faith he had to obey God, and he desperately prayed that God would do something, and God did. We're going to come to those times in our life where all we can do is stop and wait on God. Say, God, I need you to do something. God knows exactly where we are. 
He knows what we're going through. He knows the power of the adversary. He realized that our life is in peril and he's going to take care of us. Amen? Amen. If that's not a comforting thought for you, I can't give you one tonight. I can't. That's as good as it gets knowing that our God will never leave us nor forsake us. And all he wants us to do, I'm going to say two words that will make Kathy grin, is trust and obey. And why would that make Kathy grin? Because her mom bought her a piano. Isn't that neat? Kathy can play the piano. In fact, the day her mom made the last payment, Kathy quit taking piano lessons. The only song that Kathy knows today is trust and obey. That's it. She told me that when I first went to ministry. I said, well, you play it and I'll try to sing it. If she started playing today, she might be done by Sunday morning. <laughs> Yep. But those words, trust and obey. You were waiting on me to pick on you, weren't you, baby? <laughs> those words, trust and obey. You can get me later, okay? Those words, trust and obey. Issues that we need to settle in our own lives. Do you trust Him enough to obey Him? We trust Him to get to heaven, don't we? Somebody asked you tonight, you'd say, yeah, I'm going. God has built me a mansion. Cattle on a thousand hills, I'm going. But do you trust him enough to obey him today, right now, whatever he's called you to do? Well, this is the last night of revival, so I don't mind getting...